everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of the Mental Dive podcast, where we talk anything and everything, sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden. Whew, big week of sports just went by, namely the Super Bowl. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on winning the Super Bowl. Um, and you know what? Congratulations to Scarborough's very own The weekend on an unreal Super Bowl halftime show performance. Wow. Talk about being able to perform under pressure and at your best. As well, talk about betting on yourself by investing $7 million of your own money to make the show what you imagined. Like, that's incredible to me, right? Like, I know I talk about sports psychology and mental performance and mental skills, but these aren't just skills that can be used in sport, right? These can be used in performances like the weekends. These can be used in school. These can be used in any area of your life. So when you hear myself and my guests talk about these mental skills, I challenge you to think about how you could use these not just in sport, but outside of sport. Okay, I think that's really important. So I challenge everyone to do that. But anyways, wow. Today's guest, Dr. Eddie O'Connor. It was an absolute treat. Dr. Eddie O'Connor is a clinical sports psychologist and certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. I got to learn so much from Dr. Eddie O'Connor, just like I get to learn something from every guest I have on. Big overarching topic in today's interview, as you're going to notice, is excellence. And when you hear the word excellence, I know when I hear the word excellence, the first thing that comes to my mind is being the absolute best, being the best possible version you can be. So Dr. Eddie O'Connor actually really challenged my thinking and my thoughts and brings forth this expert analysis on excellence and what it truly means. So I'm not going to spoil it for you because I want you to hear it from him. But I think that a lot of listeners today are going to have their minds blown. So I really hope that you do. And if you do, or if you don't, or if you have any comments about the podcast at all, I'd love to hear your feedback. Reach out Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Taylor Staden, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. Let's get into the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, how are you doing today? How have things been for you? Yeah, no, things are good. Things are really good. I, um, you know, I'm as passionate about sports psychology and performance psychology today as I was the, the first day I, I took a class in it in college. And so uh, I really just feel blessed and thankful to, to be able to kind of stay in this field and to see the different opportunities that, uh, that, that arise. And so I'm uh, just in a quick overview, I'm, I'm growing now in, in telehealth. So I see people um, making it easier for athletes to come see me or other performers I'm expanding out. I have musicians and performing artists. Um, I started a success stories membership, which is an online community um, where I can, again, have a bigger impact um, where people can join. And, and that's, I think, the thing I'm most excited about in the last five or six months um, is that I'd be able to help people to scale in uh, uh, through this through this platform. Mm-hmm. So lots lots going on. Good, good. Right on. So one way that I always like to start the podcast, Dr. O'Connor, is that I love to hear your story. You know, what made you want to pursue to become a clinical sports psychologist and CNPC? Yeah, so 
I was, I guess, a nerd <laughs> when I was in, like, when I was young. But like for whatever reason, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist right away. And I, I remember, like, you know, for fun reading Freud's analysis of dreams in high school. Like I just remember leafing through it and being like, "This is fascinating." So there was no doubt when I went to college, I wanted to be a psychologist. And that was pretty rare. Like usually people don't know that early, but go through all the psychology. And then the last class I took my senior year was this class called sports psychology. And I had never heard of it. And I was a runner in high school and a bit in college before an injury knocked me out. And so I had my own sport issues that, you know, the traditional psychology never really addressed because psychology is typically about pathology. And I'm like, wait a minute, what, this is a thing? Like there's something you can do to like be okay and then be better. You know, there's a science to excellence and I was fascinated by it. And immediately in that, in that semester, I was like, well, this, this is what I want to do. So um, I reapplied to all uh, grad schools and um, went to a clinical psychology program because I still wanted to help people understanding that athletes are more than athletes and they're going to do more than just perform well. It was important to me that honestly, I didn't want to refer out. I didn't want to just have this, the mental skills. And then if, if, uh, an eating disorder or something else popped up. I didn't want to, I wanted to help them. I wanted to be all things or as many things as I could be. So um, my clinical degree, I really emphasized things that athletes uh, struggled with the most, particularly pain and injury rehabilitation, spent a lot of years doing that. Um, and then got some experience in substance use, disordered eating, and then traditional um, psychology of depression and anxiety. Um, and then went and got my CMPC, um, or back then it was just certification um, to fill in the gaps. And then my career, you know, really went on from there where I, um, I spent a lot of time in pain and injury rehabilitation in the general population as well as sport. Um, and then a number of years ago, I um, was able to do more of the sport full-time as I left the, the, the medical team behind. Um, and then now, again, you know, with the final chapter, or at least this next chapter of, of having that online presence and being able to reach more people through, through the membership. Um, but the mission has always been the same. Um, it has always been, you know, I wanted to, you know, like, I guess all of us, like, I want to help people, but more specifically, you know, I identified with a lot of the things that sports ecology had said, like, I didn't reach my potential in high school, I had doubt and I had fear. And I was livid that, you know, I didn't, I didn't reach my potential in some areas, I, I was left with questions about how, how fast could I have run, what competitions could I have done better at, um, but not having any idea how, and then being haunted by chronic doubt and fear. Um, and not knowing what to do with it. So my philosophy of, of treatment uh, or working with athletes isn't really what you would think of like, you know, think positive and feel confident and teach those skills. Well, they're all wonderful and they work. But I really come from a perspective of excellence comes um, from overcoming the obstacles. And so mm -hmm. that's where my practice has really gotten into and where my sweet spot is, is like if you're struggling, and we all are, <laughs> but to what degree, how do I help you become more have a better relationship with the thoughts and feelings that get in the way so that you can behave in a way that enhances your performance. Hmm. So that's a long story. <laughs> right. Very, very, very interesting. So you talk about how you want to help individuals and athletes overcome barriers to excellence. How do you define yeah. excellence and what are some of those common barriers? Oh, see, that's a great question because how I define excellence is what got me in trouble early in my career. So for all the young ones listening, like let me, you're gonna hear a lot of mistakes here today. Um, <laughs> all right, you wanna hear the most embarrassing story, honestly? Like I, 
shaking my head, I can't believe I did this. I was like so passionate about excellence. And excellence would be reach your potential. Excellence, by definition, you top 3%, you're better than 97% of everybody else. To some degree, it's winning, although you know losing comes into it. But I'm all gung-ho about, look, like, reach your potential, be your best, work hard, right? It was I'm probably honestly coming from an unhealthy place. So I had on my business card, and I loved this for a year or two, <laughs> big, bold letters, because average isn't good enough. And I'm like loving it. And my marketing director, after I put this on the card, I don't know how she even let me do it because I had worked for a hospital at this time and organization. And, and she just looked at me with disgust, like what? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, like this is what it's about, performance excellence. And I soon realized later on that like that leaves no room for the most of humanity. Like, you know, and, and for any particular area that I'm going to be excellent in, I'm going to be average and below average in many others. And I was actually caught up in what a lot of my athletes with very strong athletic identities were caught up in. And I was very sensitive to this, that if I am a sum of my accomplishments defined by excellence, you know, then when I fail, I'm, I'm gonna have a lot more performance anxiety or a lot more depression. Um, I'm not gonna be able to enjoy my wins. I'm gonna kind of have to win. And this is what I really noticed in myself as I got to my midlife crisis um, but really saw it in my young athletes much more sensitively as well when their athletic identity and excellence was the be all of their uh, worth. So I tore up that card and I got a new one and I was like, okay, that, that's, that's the wrong message. Um, because I also had a couple of athletes that, you know, excellence was being average in a lot of areas. Because, you know, again, when you think about it, like half the people are below average. I mean, just statistically speaking, we have to be honest. Mm. And so, and excellence, we know, requires so much dedication, hard work, and frustration, and sacrifice. It's not for everybody, nor should it be. Because if it was, then nobody would be excellent. Then everybody would be, you know, that'd become the new normal. So when you start talking about excellence, it really is, getting back to that original top 1% to 3%, you have to be willing to do and be able to do what the other 97, 99% can't. And that's gonna create a certain life for you. So excellence could be the person who is, I hate the word well-balanced, but maybe has their life in harmony where they've got great friendships, they're, they're good at their job, they spend time with their kids, they have good health, and they, you know, they're close in their spirituality. And, and, and they, they've got a nice buffet of things that, that are going well. Excellence could be you know, a personal best for somebody. Like you don't have to be an Olympic athlete, but maybe you were, you were losing weight and you just run your first 5K. That's excellent compared to your personal mark. So my definition has really, really changed. What I'm going with now is, hey, this is your life. I'm just a coach. I'm just <laughs> like, I'm just your, your, your mentor over here. How do you define your excellence, right? And excellence would be like, how do you push you in the direction that would really, really be rewarding? And let's work towards that. And then you just keep taking that step because then there's always another step to excellence as part of that process. Mm -hmm. So that no. was the answer to your first question. I don't remember your second question right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, the, the second question was, what are some of the common barriers? But before we get into that, I, I'd love to just get your perspective on something. So you mentioned how, you know, excellence, you know, when you look at the population is the, the top 3% or so. Yeah. So when, right. So when we think of elite performers and we when we think of being a high performer do you think that that is healthy or do you think that a lot of the time for us to achieve and get into that two three percent it can actually be quite unhealthy 
So dangerous word, but a great, great question. And I'll answer it in this way where I had a, he might've been 12, might've been younger than that kid come in. And he let me know that he was going to go to the NHL. And I found out that he was doing like 150 squats a night. He was playing year round. Um, I mean, driving, driving, driving. I'm like, I can't wait to meet these parents, right? Because I'm like, this is too early, you know, making this judgment. And when the kid came in, the happiest kid, like he loved what he was doing. The parents, they were like, look, this is all him. You know, we're, we give him a choice. He says he wants to do it. And, and that I think is a great story of, of, some, of some kid who was obviously out of balance by maybe somebody else. Like he's, this is all he was doing, but it brought him such joy. He wasn't interested in doing anything else. Like it would be unhealthy to tell him to stop. I mean, assuming that he wasn't getting overuse injuries or anything and he wasn't, you know, have proper recovery, right? There's a way to do it. Mm. But as far as like the amount of time and how small his life was around hockey, it brought him such joy and it was self-directed. And we know that from self-determination theory, you know, the, the autonomy mm. is, for motivation is so important. And, and this is like, again, that theory shows up in so much of performance psychology and, and life. So now let's bump to the elite athletes. If that's what they are built to do, if that's what they feel like their, their purpose is, if they're getting enjoyment out of it, it doesn't mean that it's always fun and it's not hard, but if they're autonomous in that decision and they are aware of the things that they will be sacrificing and they intentionally make those sacrifices, then it's incredibly healthy. Now it's hard. It has challenges and they're going to have, you know, issues with, you know, maybe missing family or this or that, uh, you know, we have to be careful of their, again, athletic identity. And I mean, there's a lot of things that go along with it, but whether you're excellent or not, you know, those are things that we all, we all suffer with and go through. So I wouldn't label, you know, being elite an unhealthy practice. I would say that it's got its unique risks that you would want to be careful of and just be sure that it is your choice. Um, I remember one player I'd had a really tall guy, like six, a lot and was playing basketball. And, but I was working with him because he had no interest in basketball. He's like, but what else am I supposed to do for my entire life? I've been told this is what I should do. You know, he was good because it's like close to seven feet tall. You're going to be, you know, <laughs> especially in high school, you're, you're going to be, you know, <laughs> but you know, the lack of joy that that kid had, you know, and to, to have his identity be like, well, I'm tall. So therefore I should be this. You know, you, and I still see this a lot. It's like what I should be doing. You get the gymnast who's been in gymnastics since she was four and doesn't really know when to leave or to quit, but she's a level 10 and, you know, could go you know further and everybody has this talent. But then when you talk to her, um, she's doing it because that's all she knows. And there's, there's a difference then when I see the other level 10 gymnast who can't wait and wants to be an Olympian and is, you know, excited. Um, so I wouldn't look at the label. I would really look at the motivation underneath it. Um, cause you're going to have to deal with obstacles no matter, no matter what you choose. Hmm. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It was just, it, my question was, was coming from an area where I was thinking, okay, well, when we want to be elite per se, right. And we want to achieve and be in that, let's say two, 3%, that is obviously going to have to come at the expense of a lot of other areas of our life, but I think you brought up a really good point there, you know, self-determination theory, where if that's something we are intrinsically motivated to do and pursue, then that's obviously going to be a lot less taxing and tolling on us on ourselves than as if we just feel like we have to do it because it's something we've always done and we don't know anything else. 
Right. <laughs> Much more efficient summary than I had. That's, that's perfect. Oh. You know, you want to be in that bird's eye view because we can get caught up in what we do and what we should do and what our, what our three, five, 10 year plan is, right? And, you know, you know that I come from a mindfulness-based approach and I, mm. I really feel like, you know, well, let, let's, every day you go through that path, you learn stuff. You learn about the goal and where you're going and you, you get different dynamics and different people and different rewards and different desires and you grow as a human being. So you have to kind of recommit to this every day. And so, again, another big thing with parents and kids, they're like, well, I don't, I don't want my kid to be a quitter. You know, maybe he's a sophomore and I'm making this up. So sophomore in high school, finished his season. He doesn't want to play junior year. Well, I don't want my kid to quit. You know, you know? I'm like, well, what, what's, what's quitting about it? Well, you know, the team needs him. And this and I'm like, hey, this is a new season. They finished their season. Nobody owes anybody anything. This child gets to choose how he wants to spend his or her junior year and what club or athletic activity they want to do. Now, of course, there's, there's factors to consider, but do not phrase that as quitting. It's just that you're not recommitting. And I really want athletes to be able to have those decisions, especially like, well, now I got to go play in college. I had another athlete that spent five weeks on my, in my office crying because she felt like she had to play her sport in college, got a walk-on scholarship to a D1 school. And she's like, who says no to that? And I'm like, well, why are you crying? <laughs> yeah. She's like, because like sport's going to kick me out eventually. She's like, I'm not going to go pro. She's like, knowing that being a college athlete takes a ton of time and requirements. I mean, you're, if you're a student athlete at a D1 school, you have a different lifestyle than others. And she's like, you know what? She decided I'm just going to dominate and co-rec and join the poli-sci team and, and then was happy walking away from a D1 scholarship. Now, when I was younger, I'd be like, what the heck? This doesn't make any sense in my sports psychology mindset. Going back to your mm -hmm. first question, doesn't everybody want to excel? Like you're on the cusp of excelling. Who? And some of my early clients really taught me, is like, no, 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 Eddie, that's the wrong way to go about it. You know, excelling for her was leaving her sport on her terms with the successes that she had had and then develop herself as a human being about what is important to her now in college to be who she wants to be, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, chef, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I got to keep jumping up ahead or not up ahead, but rather up above and kind of look at sort of the bigger dynamic and picture of what's going on. Cause we can get that tunnel vision and what we should do and have to do, or to use your terms, like what's healthy or what's unhealthy. But sometimes that really comes from a lot of outside people and the mindfulness approach can really help you get into touch with, well, what's right in my soul or in my heart. Um, what, what, what do I feel? And is it a calm feeling or is it an anxiety feeling or depressive feeling? Cause that's a whole nother conversation we could have too mm -hmm. about what do I listen to? Cause there's a lot of lies that go on our head as well, but maybe we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And you brought up an interesting point where, you know, it's not quitting, it's recommitting. Would yeah. you say that the lack of commitment is one of the most common barriers to excellence? Clearly. I mean, I guess I don't, it's interesting as you ask the questions, I haven't really noticed this about myself, but over the years, I've really moved away from phrasing these things as problems because I found that every single person I know, myself included, has them. So they, these really can't be problems. I like to think of them more as nature. So I wouldn't say a lack of commitment is in like, you should be more committed, but I'll say that it's in a barrier that, that excellence requires such an extreme amount of commitment a far above average <laughs> level of commitment, a level of commitment that many people probably aren't born with, but have to practice and develop over time. 
And so, yes, it's absolutely a barrier because it's one of the things that you're going to have to come up against, but it's a healthy barrier, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Like go back to sports like 101. How do you take your threats and turn them into challenges, you know, <laughs> more than just by using cute words. But if you really look at it, I mean, please, people, if you really want to excel, I'm going to pause here. Like excellence means you want to be better than everybody else. You want to rise above, right? Everybody wants to be excellent. I'm like, that's not true because not everybody wants to do all the work that it takes. You got to separate that out. So I'll tell you about another player who came. I, I saw him periodically from elementary to high school and then college. And then after that, he kept popping in every once in a while. Love, love this kid because just seeing him every couple of years and the way that he would grow and he'd come up with these list of questions. But here he is in college. He's doing well, using everything we'd learned over the years. And he's having a real struggle with uh, leadership because, of course, you should be a leader. And being a leader is great. It's kind of an accolade and this and that. Mm-hmm. But he's like, but I don't really mix with the guys and, you know, I, I don't get to do this. And, you know, it's kind of hard and all the expectations are on me. I'm like, yeah, well, welcome to leadership. <laughs> like, like, you can't be like everybody else and do what everybody else is doing and lead. Then you're part of the group. <laughs> I was like, so you have a choice to make. And I wasn't this sarcastic with him. I was more empathic. I know, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe not. Like, I was really just kind of like, hey, man, look, I, I get it. I feel it. Right. Here's the thing. Leadership can be lonely. Right. Because you're up at the top by yourself and people are looking at you and depending on you. And so you're right. You know, your mistakes are worse or can have a worse. You know, that's that's what it means to be a leader. And you do have to be the one to say no to the drinking or to the partying or, you know, to coming to early to practice or to you know, challenging people when they're getting down to bring up their focus. And like you do have to be better than everybody else who can follow a leader that's not doing what what they say they're going to do. So that's going to cost you some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So let me genuinely ask you, do, do you want to be a leader? Because there's nothing wrong with being a team player. There's nothing wrong with being a follower. Like we had a bunch of leaders all in a room. We get nothing done. Like a leader needs followers. So let's not think that there's something wrong if you're not a leader. You're, you're, you just have a different role and your role is important. So we lay this all out with him. And he was like, I never thought of it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. And, and in his case, he decided to embrace it, but that's how he took one of the challenges of, you know, the loneliness, the, the distance a little bit from some of the teams, the higher expectations and the pressure. And instead of being weighed down by it and feeling like he's losing out because he can't be like everybody else. I was like, well, that's the very nature of being a leader. You're not like everybody else. And this is what it means to stand apart. And he's like, okay, I don't like all of that stuff. I don't like what that means but I still do. I'm willing to feel that because I like even more what it means to get the benefits of leadership, to to contribute to the team and to raise us to another level. So again, another long-winded story, but to illustrate my point that when we talk about the obstacles, they are obstacles, but they're things that we really often need to bring along with us in service of the value or the goal that we want to achieve. They're not obstacles to get rid of. Mm -hmm take that fear and doubt. You'd asked this early on, like, what are these obstacles? Well, I'm mostly talking about things like lack of motivation, lack of commitment, um, fear, doubt, worry, anxiety. We all have it. Um, those, those are really the, the, the big ones. And I could go on for the list, but, but those are the ones that are most common because I've never met anybody that doesn't have doubt. And that's because it's a biological survival instinct. The more we care about something as human beings, the more we are going to worry about the outcome. Turtles have their shell, skunks have sprays. We, we're blessed with a worrying mind. 
as a survival instinct to tell us <laughs> everything that could go wrong. And the more we care, the bigger the threat, right? I don't worry about, if you and I play chess, I'm not gonna worry about it because, you know, I don't play chess a lot. And so if you beat me, my, my, you know, it's not gonna hurt as much. But, but I love CrossFit and I love football. And so if we go out in a field and you beat me, even though you're a ton younger than me, I'm gonna be pissed, <laughs> right? And yeah, then, yeah. You know, and then if, if it, you know, again, you're, you're, you're younger and stuff like that, but if all of a sudden, like you, you're, you're talking to me here and you're teaching me, well, actually, if you started teaching me everything about sports psychology, I can't say I'd be pissed. I'd be amazed, but I would have a lot of fear and doubt be like, what have I done with the last couple of decades of my life that I don't know what you're talking about, like that you're that brilliant, right? There's like, although that's not, that's not a good example because it's not a competition, but you get my feel. I know what you mean. There, I know what you there mean. are certain things that, you know, because I care, I'm going to worry more. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to go away. Like, so how are we going to, how are we going to get somebody to go to the Olympics and not be nervous? Like, isn't that one of the dumbest things you ever heard? Like we're going to try yeah. to get athletes to relax before competitions and be calm and know that they're going to win. How am I going to do a presentation to a tournament? Say there's 12 teams and tell everybody that they need to believe that they can win. There's only going to be one team at the end that's going to think I, I made any sense. And everybody else is going to say that I sucked. <laughs> there's only one team can win. Yeah. Right? You know, like there, there are certain things that we, we, we quickly adapt and think of for excellence that it's like, I don't know. What if we deal with the reality of this stuff? What if we know that there's risk? And what would it be like if we went into the competition and f- allowed the risk to be there, but realize it has nothing to do with our performance and let it settle into the background as we zero in on what's important now. We want to win, W-I-N, what's important now? Yeah. The very things that are going to contribute to my success. And that's, again, that's a lifelong practice. As we were talking beforehand, you know, starting my business here, that's what I do every day. I'm like, I got all this to do, blah, 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 blah. Okay, what's important today? What's the one thing I have to do? What's the one post or the video or the application or the, the, the client? Like, who's in front of me? What do I do now? And when you get into that process, the outcome takes care of itself. But that process often means bringing along very unpleasant feelings. And if you get caught up in trying to control them and fix them, you are now dealing with your emotions and you're not playing your sport. You brought up another area that I'm also becoming more passionate about um, in what to me sounds like the act approach where you're not trying to get rid of feelings of nervousness or confidence or whatnot, but instead you're trying to make space for a lot of these emotions and then learn how to take committed action despite these feelings. When did you adopt the act approach into your consulting philosophy? Because I know it's something that's gained a lot of steam in the more recent years. Yeah, oh, this is a, all right, get your coffee, fill your coffees. This is, this is a great story. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and, and I hope, and we actually just did a presentation at ASP on this um, recently too, because um, this, this last virtual one, um, because this is a very important lesson as I went through. So, okay, so I was CBT, psychological skills, People very familiar with it. Um, I had a fair amount of clients where it, that didn't work. I was, uh, I remember a golfer in particular that no matter what we did, could not build confidence and could not get rid of um, her negative thinking to improve her performance. Um, and I was felt left like with, well, I don't like, what else do I do? I've given you the best that sports psychology, performance psychology has to have right now. These things should work. I didn't say this to her, of course, but I'm bothered by it. I knew that in my clinical work in particular, 
Um, and I think that's probably where a lot of it is. If there's these clinical issues, some of the psychological skills training is harder to do. Um, but I knew in my own life that there were things that haunted me and all the positive thinking just never settled into the level of belief. And so I even talked to my advisor when I was in school about self-talk and I was like, we're not really talking about belief. We're just talking about words that we're saying. And I'm like, where a belief has to come in with it. I never really quite in graduate school got a solid answer, couldn't find anything about all these scripts and keywords about sort of attachment. So <laughs> I often joke that, that ACT is the, is, the, is the philosophy of psychology that I, I, I should have invented or I wanted to invent, but somebody did it first. <laughs> and, but that, that's not true because it's like Stephen Hayes and that group, they did such a good job. I wasn't anywhere close to it. But then when Frank Gardner and I can picture her, why am I forgetting the other person for the Mac perspective? Zella Moore, I knew it. I've quoted her a billion times. Yes. Okay. So, so the Mac approach there, like this, 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 this is the book I wanted to write. So I'm doing act and I'm like, this, this makes great sense for everything that I've been seeing with my athletes and seeing that the attachment to their thoughts ultimately is the difference in how to get people away from that negative self-talk, like that golfer that I was talking about, that it's really the belief level. And then, and so in act, we know that we call that cognitive diffusion. So I fell in love with that aspect of the hexaflex. And so then as time went on though, and I even presented it ask, you know, almost fighting um, Mike Zito on CBT or ACT. And I wanted to win because I was back at the time where I had those stupid business cards. <laughs> that, you know, I was going to win, now ACT was better. But he, he did a nice job, a uh, brilliant guy of, you know, kind of cooperatively less presenting our toolbox and when is ACT appropriate and when is CBT appropriate. But it, for me, it was still sort of an either or. So I presented it ASK this year, how I've evolved and said, the, the basic premise of ASK, of um, ACT rather, is do what works. It's a contextual psychology, so do what works. So I wanna be very clear. If challenging your thoughts from negative to positive works, then that's an ACT intervention that you should do. So I used to kind of get all, I got away from all of the traditional psychological skills training because I was like, no, we got to do all of this. We got to be mindful and we just have to, you know, you know, you know, get distance. So I had a young baseball player, another baseball player. This one's young, like, again, another one, 10 or 11. He comes in and I'm teaching him meditation and mindfulness and diffusion. And I have him, you know, saying like, I, I can't pat my head as I, as he's patting his head so he can get this concept that his thoughts and feelings are independent. So he goes out to his, his game and he starts thinking at the, at the plate, I can't hit, I can't hit, breaks down into tears. Mom calls me up and says, I'm never bringing him back. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I got too into this mindfulness approach. That kid, I brought him back I talked to him about imagery. I talked to him about focus and I gave him some cue words to focus on and he was fine and he did well. I was like, Eddie, you, you messed that up. You done, got too deep and there was no need for it, right? Act, do what works. The kid needs some basic mental skills. He needed to mm -hmm. focus, teach him how to breathe. You know, when, you, when you're nervous and you can take some deep breaths and relax, do that, right? There, there is mm -hmm. regulation. We can't throw out all of that stuff. So I really passionately want to get across that it's not the CBT or the psychological skills or act, it's not, you know, mindfulness and, and do I have to bring everything along or not? It's a matter of being aware of, well, control what you can, but when you can't, you have to let it go because ultimately both philosophies will say you still have to focus on the present moment and, and concentrate on what you're doing.
whatever phrasing you use. So I don't know if you'd ask for that story, but it, that's sort of my journey in act. So I was CBT heavy, and then I don't know, a decade or more ago, learned about, oh yeah, it's, gosh, it's definitely more than a decade, 15, I don't know, a long time ago, got into act. And then I kind of did like this weird mixture of, as I kind of learned act and did like CBT light. And then I was like, well, I'll act. And I kind of abandoned the CBT, but now I, I found a way to join them together and realize that they're, you know, you do what works. They're more alike than different. It's just sort of, what does the athlete need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, very interesting and, and, and funny story <laughs> about, about the youth baseball player. You know, I, I think it's, it's interesting when we learn about a new technique or a new method, I find that a lot of us, just want to dive right into the deep end and, and do everything all the same time. And really it's like, you know, we gotta, we gotta ease ourselves in just like we tell athletes to ease themselves into different habits and uh, methods as well. So uh, thank you for sharing that story. Um, <laughs> so last question before we wrap up and um, we learn more about what you're offering uh, through your membership. When you think about the act approach and you think about teaching values to athletes and individuals, how do you think values can be used to maybe not necessarily replace goal setting, but help improve one's goal setting? Yeah, great question. And I'm glad not replacing it, um, maybe expanding on it. And this is another one that took me a little bit of goals or values and which is which. So I like to tell my athletes, I put it this way. I start off with the idea of goal setting because we know what that is. My goal is like, you know, okay, you know, we're here in Michigan and we want to get to New York. So we set a goal. And the goal like is like a map. It tells us how to get there. You know, what's the distance? What roads are we going to take, et cetera? And then we get there and yay, we've achieved our goal. Now what? Right? Values, taking that same thing are more like how, what direction do we get there? So we would have to go east. So once we get to New York, we haven't accomplished east. We could still keep going east. We could then get into the water and then we can get to Europe. We can go to the far east. We can go so far east that we're actually on the west coast. <laughs> and we can just keep going east for the rest of our lives. And that's what I think values are like. So they work in concert with your goals. Um, I think that it, it provides a quality of, of the way that you do it. Um, it, it. It's a lot of your why and sort of like the blueprint that you're built with. So I like, my, I like to have my athletes explore like, well, what's this important to you? Because how many of us have set a goal and it not be attached to our values and we fail to a goal to lose weight or you know, start an exercise program? Or if we have a goal that's you know, different or goes against our values or requires something um, that would be in conflict with our values and maybe honesty or something. Or you know, we wanna be elite and that's our goal and we don't have a value of hard work. Well, that's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I really see them as, as complementary. And if you can flesh out your values, you can use them to inform your goals. And your goals can kind of tap into, well, what are the things that I value? So when my goals are difficult, you know, if I value or see myself as a hardworking person, um, well, then instead of, if I remember that, and I remember that this is an opportunity to demonstrate and live my value. And the great thing about values, and I've really found this too, is that once you can like narrow them down to like say five qualities or so, um, that you can bring it into every aspect of your life. And I found that my athletes, even when they're struggling, as long as they're living their values, they're still okay. And then even if people are doing well, but they're not living their values, something's off and they can have anxiety and 
and, and, and other issues. And this has worked in my clinical population too, whether it be with disordered eating or, or use of substances or um, depression and anxiety. I've just found that people get better even if their circumstances haven't changed. They are more at peace when they're handling the adversity in a values consistent way. So um, yeah, it's not one or the other. And I don't always do the values exercise. Again, if people kind of, if it's really clear that you can tell what it is and what's important to them and this is who they are and this is who they aren't. Some people just kind of speak their values without knowing it. We don't have to go through a formal exercise. But at the first sign of people struggling, you know, if we start off with the traditional say CBT or psychological skills, you know, you have to ultimately get to your why. Well, why are you doing this? Again, I'll tell you another embarrassing story from my early career. I thought everybody comes into sports psychology you know, because they want to be better. Like, what, why else would you be here? So my first athlete, <laughs> very first athlete, I'm excited, little gymnast. Like, oh, of course, like that's the perfect, you know, young. You, you, you find out within the first 15 minutes after her mom leaves that she hates gymnastics and she only does it because her mom makes her. And I'm like, okay, well, successful session, but I had to bring mom in who was not happy and let her know that the kid was miserable and maybe they wanted to go in another direction. Second athlete I see, okay, this is going to go better. Young high school basketball player. Great. We go through three or four weeks. I'm teaching relaxation skills, this and that, but she's not practicing at home. Da, da, da. And I'm like, why are you here? She goes, I don't want to be here. What? <laughs> like, you've been here for four weeks. I was like, but you told me, you know, you want to win. She goes, yeah, I'd like to win. I was like, well, why do you play? She goes, well, I play for my teammates. I play for the social. I play to stay in shape. She's like, I'm not going to do this in college. You know, I, I play for fun. And you know, to, I was like, so are you okay with the level that you're playing at, even though you could be a lot better? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, these are questions I should be asking earlier. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. values, you know, I mean, even though it was like, she didn't like making mistakes and she told her mom and everything who went to get her help, you know, that she wanted to be better. It's sort of like saying like, I want a million dollars. I'd love to live in Europe. I'd love to, I mean, there's a lot of things I'd like to do when I don't think about the realities of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And these are magical questions. Like I had to find out what these kids valued because all the goal setting and all the teaching would not, didn't get them hooked. Now, my third athlete was really into it. And we did really well. So thank goodness, like it pivoted, but I started to get mm. nervous about what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for sharing those stories. So Dr. O'Connor, again, I really appreciate your time today. Um, it's been a lot of fun and I've got to learn a lot myself. So thank you for that. Before we sign off, how about you tell us a little more about um, you know, your, your new journey into entrepreneurship and what you're offering right now in terms of your membership with your business. Yeah. So, so success stories membership is an online platform and I'm, I'm like super excited about it. Cause and really, to be honest with you, it's, it's still growing. So if I stutter a lot, it, it's because I'm, I've got the, all, like I said, I got all these ideas about what it's going to be, but ultimately it's going to be an online community. Um, it's going to have modules where I'm going to take you from, you know, stage one, which I call, um, creating the mindset to stage two, building the foundation, stage three, leveling up, four is going strong and five consistent excellence and growth. So the idea is based on my whole philosophy that excellence, the way to it is to overcome the obstacles. And I just could never help enough people one-on-one. -on -one. I love my one-on-one -on -one consulting. And so my telehealth, again, it does that, but, but I wanted to have a bigger impact. And so the idea of creating a, a scalable membership where people could come in and then have an online platform where I will have 
um, workshops and step-by-step -step instructions on how to develop the skills that I do with athletes one-on-one. -on -one. So it's not a course because it'll be at your own pace and time. So as, as a membership, it's a monthly dues um, that uh, you, know, you stay as, as long as you would like and as long as you make progress. So it's, it's intended to be sort of a long-term uh, uh, partnership. And I can then <clears throat> be able to provide things about like sleep hygiene and the mental skills training and you know, developing willingness and mindfulness. I mean, real tangible stuff that I do with my athletes one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but they're all available in these video formats with workshop work, um, exercises. And yeah, and um, there's several things I want to say. So the, the biggest thing that's coming out, like it, it's going to be out in three weeks. So I'm going to be opening up the doors at the end of February on this new platform. And it's called Searchy. And, and this is just great because I, I, I love the video aspect of it. I've already got over 100 videos on there with my mental toughness in 60 seconds. So the example is if you type into the search bar confidence, what this will do is it will bring up every video that I say confidence in. Cue it to the place that I say confidence. Give you a transcription of what I say about it. And yeah, I mean, so this is just, this is why I'm stuttering. Like, I still can't believe how powerful, like how much easier this platform is going to help you to make progress. So you put in any question. So let's say I, and we have team meetings once a month. So I get to meet with the membership and ask questions. Um, sometimes we'll have themes. I also do monthly um, mindset videos. So longer conversations like you're listening to here today, I'll, I'll kind of talk about a particular topic. So we'll have the core content that will help you go step-by-step step from stage one of where you're struggling to developing the mindset, to developing positive habits, et cetera. And then we have these monthly content, but let's say we're on a group call. You know, you could say something like, um, and we have a nice conversation like this. And so I might say, if they were recording this, this podcast, and if it's on the website, you know, we might say pickle right now. And then we, you and I can talk about whatever it is, your question. And then all you have to do is you have to type in pickle into the website or into the, into the membership site. And it'll bring up this video right where I say pickle. So you can listen to what we talked about. It's <laughs> that's incredible. So, it is incredible. I've never heard of that before. It's because it never existed until like a couple of months ago. It is this brand new platform. And I'm just so happy to be a part of these people with the membership. I mean, again, I've got tons of videos on this website. I've got over a hundred videos and I'm like, I've got them in playlists in this and that. But if you want to hear self-talk, if you want to hear something about sleep, you just put in the word and it'll put out everything about it. So it, it helps make, I mean, because honestly, like if you, you could Google all this stuff in sports psychology, right? Everything that you and I know is out there, but that's not what people want. Like it's overwhelming. I don't know if you felt overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. So I want to take the overwhelm away with Success Stories membership. And Searchy is one way to do that. And as I continue to build it, I'm just developing it step-by-step step so that you go at your own pace. So there'll be questionnaires and assessments that'll say, here's the next thing to do. Here's the next thing to do. And it's just incredibly cost-effective too, honestly. I just, I'm inviting people to come because I want to make a difference in your life. And God has really put on my heart, like, this is the best way to do it. And the greatest advantage is that there's no pressure of the speed that you have to go. We all go at our own pace, you know? So it's not like you've got these weekly assignments and you have to do this and it's, it shouldn't be a stressor to you. If you have to set it down for a week or two, it's fine. You know, you've got kids, you've got this or that, the other thing, but it's always there when you need it. And they'll always be constantly adding those new information with uh, the, you know, the mindsets and the, um, the team meetings that we have as well as, again, the core content that's going to have the basic fundamentals of really everything you and I have talked about, and I'm continuing to build that. So the big news is, it, I haven't decided on the exact date yet, but at the end of February, 
It's, um, I'm going to be opening up the doors. I only open up the doors for about five days to get people in. And then I work with the members and I redo the website and you know, build it up before I open it again. So it is a time limited offer. Um, and if you want to just kind of get on the wait list so you don't miss it, if you go to dreddieoconnor.com slash membership, um, I've got more information about it and uh, there's a, a way to get on the wait list. And so you'll get a specific email saying, hey, we'll open the doors, come join us. Um, and then you can also get my other uh, same website. Um, you'll be invited to get my newsletter weekly. Um, and I've got a great free video. It's one of my favorites, um, what to do when positive thinking doesn't work. Um, so I've got a nice 20 minute instructional video for free. Um, but I encourage you to get that resource too, if you like some of the stuff that I was saying here. Um, yeah, it, this is gonna be such a great year for this membership. Like I, again, uh, I just keep stuttering because I'm literally overwhelmed with what we can do. And um, I'm just so excited about what, how I can help you, you improve. Um, and I can help so many more people improve than I've been able to do so far in the 20 years of my experience. I, I just can't wait for this. You look very excited. I am, my heart is like racing <laughs> right now. It's like, I just can't put the stuff together enough. Like I know what it's gonna look like when it's finished, if it's ever finished. So that's why I kind of say, I ask people to like, so despite my enthusiasm, like know that I'm still building it. There's still core mm -hmm. content that I, I have to put into it, but it's coming. And like to be able to move and really do a great thing on like sleep and then mindfulness and then overcoming, you know, the negative thoughts. And I'm sure we're going to talk about perfectionism and motivation. Like as I get to put in each of these modules, it's just going to get better every month. And you'll, as a member, you'll have constant contact or, you know, like it's just an ever growing library. Oh, and the thing is, I mean, the, typically the price goes up each time I open it up because it's a bigger product. But the other advantage to joining early is that I'll lock you in at that price. So, um, you know, in a couple of years when it's a lot more expensive, you'll still be paying whatever you, you bought it for in February as long as you stay a member. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a real advantage to like knowing that it's not quite done yet. Um, I think it offers you great value today. The members now have given me lots of compliments and are making great progress. You don't even have to be an athlete either. I've got a lot of athletes, I've got a tri triathlete and uh, a couple of runners, but I've got a couple of psychologists. I've got um, a canine trainer. I've got a pilot. Hmm. Um, so again, when we talk about excellence, all these people want excellence in their lives and they're all ages too, um, you know, from younger to older. Um, it, you know, we all want to be good at what we do. And so, um, that's what makes success stories membership fun as well. It's not just for athletes, but it definitely builds on like the athletic mindset and the sport and performance psychology. So if you feel like, Oh no, my college career is over. This isn't for me. It's like, uh, no, that's, that's not like, if you still want to excel, you know, I got some stuff for you. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So if you go to your website, which is, I believe you said www.dreddieoconnor.com slash membership, you can learn more about the success stories membership. What if there's maybe some people out there who want to learn about how they can maybe have you give a team talk or an individual consultation? Yeah, I, I, my website has literally everything that you would need. So it's again, spelling it D-R-E-D-D-I-E-O-C-O-N-N-O-R. People make a lot of uh, <laughs> spelling mistakes on there for my name. But um, if you go there, um, you, you can click speaking. Um, so I'm able to come in or do it um, over... Uh, a video nowadays. Um, and then I have telehealth. So there's just another click there. And um, it goes through the entire aspect of, of how that works. I've got my informed consent forms. Um, if you live in the state of Michigan, 
Um, I can do clinical work um, with you too. If you're outside, we respect laws, but I can do the mental training and mental coaching um, you know, across, across the country. So there's lots of opportunities to, to work together. Um, there's also a lot of free resources. So feel free to play around in my blog and my um, media section. I've got a lot of interviews. Um, and then there's a, a link to my uh, YouTube um, that um, also has the uh, mental toughness in 60 seconds. The benefit of having that, those 100, 150 videos on the membership website is that they're, again, you just put in a keyword and you'll get the right video and they're all transcribed. So if you like text, you get them, um, you get them all written out too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of extra advantages being on the inside of the membership. Fantastic. So I will include the link to the success stories membership in the description of the podcast for easy access, which like Dr. O'Connor just said, um, also will direct you to where you can find things like individual consultation and team sessions and public speaking and whatnot. So Dr. O'Connor, again, I really do appreciate your time. It's been a lot of fun today and I wish you nothing but the best as you take on this, uh, this big year. Thank you so much. Hey, and best wishes to you, man. I've just, uh, your questions are the right ones, your enthusiasm, like you're, you're going to make a big difference in this field. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to know you. I can't wait to see what's, what's in your future as well. That's really kind of you. Thank you so much. Wow. What an interview. What an episode 47. Is that a thing? What an episode 47? I don't know. But you know what? Now it is. What an episode 47 of the Mental Dive podcast. Again, big shout out to Dr. Eddie O'Connor for joining me for today's episode. It was an absolute pleasure. Anytime you get an interview, one of the best in the field, it's going to be a good one. So that was a lot of fun. As I mentioned earlier, anybody, don't miss out. Don't miss out from an opportunity to learn from an expert like Dr. Eddie O'Connor. Check out his Success Stories membership. Check out his website. See if there's a way that he can help you achieve excellence, however you define it as we as we learned today. I hope your mind was blown too. But anyways, everybody, have a fantastic rest of your day, evening, whenever you're listening. You know what I mean. And I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you all soon. Until next time. <laughs>